You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Thanks for joining us for this Viva podcast. Today, we'll be discussing bioceramics use, techniques, and indications in non-surgical root canal therapy. Our guest is Dr. Ali Nase, founder of Microsurgical Endodontics and a practicing endodontist in Boston, Massachusetts. He has been an active faculty and a clinical instructor at the Department of Restorative Dentistry and Biomaterial Sciences postdoctoral program at Harvard School of Dental Medicine since 1994. Dr. Nase is a national and international speaker and lectures actively. He goes by Ali, and that's what I'm going to call him today. Ali, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, thank you so much, Phil, for having me. So you gave us a great review of bioceramics in great detail, I should say, in 15 minutes, which is just unbelievable, in your last uh podcast. Somebody that's writing a thesis on this should use that as a reference. Um, what we're talking today about is non-surgical root canal therapy. And tell us uh, in the beginning something about the bioceramic material that you're involved with personally. And then if you would, give us some uh, insight into using this material non-surgically for root canal therapy. No, of course. Uh, it's, all, of course, very important um, for disclosure to say that I have uh, helped develop the endosequence line of bioceramics, uh, the, the entire uh, the, the, the sealer putty and specifically the putty uh, and so on. So it's, um, it's from that place that I'm coming from that have helped, kind of, kind of my baby have helped develop it. But it's also important to know that since 2008 and 2007, I've been using these clinically in my practice. So I'm also coming from a very separate type of a uh, approach of having clinical experience, having done now about 10,000 clinical cases using these materials and having seen now 10-year recalls. Uh, so that's important for the you know, audience to be aware of uh, some of these two different uh, um, experiences that I have had with these materials. Yeah, thank you for that disclosure. So again, um, let's talk about bioceramics, and we could certainly discuss the product that you helped develop or the category of bioceramics that are out there for endodontics. Give us an example of how this these kinds of products are used non-surgically. Yeah, of course. I mean, we certainly what I'm talking about when I'm talking about this particular line, the endosequence line, applies to all of the pure bioceramics that are available. So I wanted to be clear ahead of time here that I'm not saying that if anybody using not using endosequence is somehow, you know, you doing an inferior type of a uh, technique or protocol, as we all know, Phil, the success of our clinical cases, especially when it comes to non-surgical root canal therapy, is primarily a function of our disinfection protocols, which includes our cleaning and shaping. The obturation, while it's important, it is not the only thing that defines success. So we should, all the audience should be aware of that as well. So, but I can tell you about my experience, again, with this material so that I've helped develop that the reason why these uh, biceramics are so helpful in non-surgical root canal therapy is primarily because originally, and Phil, I know you're an endodontist, so you can relate to this, that Dr. Grossman back in uh, the 80s defined the uh, properties of an ideal root canal sealer. And he looked at a number of sealers that were available on the market at that time, which included the zinc oxide eugenol sealers and resin sealers, and he came out with a conclusion that the sealers on the market were falling very much short of ideal. 
And this was something we all knew before because this was really the intellectual basis for the axiom used in endodontics that we had to minimize the sealer interface. Originally, back in the early stages of endodontics, people filled the root canal with a sea of zinc oxide usual sealer, and then they placed the gutta percha cone right in the middle of it, and they called it a day. That was the original single cone technique. The problem was that zinc oxide eugenol sealer, when it sets, it shrinks, and it washes out of the root canal. So that particular type of single cone technique that was possible in the 40s and the 50s and so on uh, failed miserably and became known that it didn't work. And so it was really in the 50s and 60s where concepts of lateral compaction of the gutta percha, and later on in the late 60s and the early 70s, the concept of vertical compaction of the gutta percha became a new model by which we reduced the amount of sealer in the root canal because we knew that the sealers were bad because they shrank and they didn't bond. They were mostly not biocompatible and they were all hydrophobic. And as a result, um, whenever we have pooling of sealer, you would end up getting leakage in the long term. So these people such as lectures Wine, Ellison, and uh, Engel, and Dr. Schilder, and all these people developed these, op these obturation techniques that were based on pushing gutta percha. We had to push the gutta percha, whether cold or thermoplastically warm gutta percha, in order to reduce the interface of the sealer that was clearly the weak link at this point uh, of our revolution in endodontics. We had to get rid of the sealer. We had to minimize it. So this became the axiom that, or the narrative that defined endodontics throughout time. It really wasn't until the development of bioceramics, which addressed the many shortcomings of the previous generation of cements, such as their lack of dimensional stability, you know, zinc oxide eugenol sealer shrank, but bioceramics, when they set, they actually expand ever so slightly. Negligible, but they don't shrink, let's put it that way. They're biocompatible. ZOE doesn't uh, bond, but, but the bioceramics, when they uh, set, they bond to the dentin because they contain also hydroxyapatite. They're set to hydroxyapatite. And then uh, they're, uh, you know, they're hydrophilic. And so a number of other properties allowed all of a sudden to, for us to realize, look, we can rely on the cement to actually seal the canal. Previously, the idea was to minimize the cement so that you could push the gutta percha because the gutta percha was more reliable than the cement. All of a sudden, we had a cement that was far more reliable than gutta percha. So the cement itself became the ideal sealing material, and that was the genesis of sealer-based obturation. However, the one shortcoming of then, because the question that comes up, Phil, is, well, why not just go ahead and fill the whole canal then with the cement? Yeah, that why was, not just that use was, uh, the ice around it? I was going to ask that yeah. question, <laughs> just to stir exactly. up some uh, controversy. Exactly. Exactly, right? Because that's a logical conclusion. You're right. You would end up getting a monoblock of material to fill the canal, and that would work if you have a clean canal. The only problem with that is that you are going to have a difficult time retreating a tooth like that should you not have done a complete job of disinfecting it during your cleaning and shaping, or if somehow down the line it may get recontaminated. So it is with that light that, you know, we kind of 
figured out of the early on when the biceramic, these smaller particle sized biceramics became available. Uh, I so realized you, that we had to develop a technique. Yeah, yeah. could you tell well, us how to prevent voids? Because uh, back in the day when we used the eugenol-based sealer, like you said, the thinner the film thickness, the better, because we essentially tried to minimize that sealer because of its deficiencies. But now with right. this revolutionary type of sealer, this bioceramic sealer, how do you uh, apply this sealer in an intricate root canal system even after it's cleaned and instrumented to its to the capability of the clinician, how do you apply it? How do you not get voids using this type of flowable material? Sure. So the that is exactly why we kind of had to develop a technique that was responsible. Because if you just use the material, the bioceramic, to inject it into the tooth and try to get your seal as a monoblock with that material, you would have the issues of retreatability as well as the issues that you just mentioned is that you would end up potentially having more voids that way because it's very difficult to control. Also, how do you make sure that you inject the material only up to the end of the route and not more? Uh, you know, how are you going to not overfill or underfill? That's when we realized that a different technique had to be developed to address the benefits of these new class of materials and compounds without some of the potential consequences, which is retreatability and having too many voids. So that's when we realized that we need a new technique. And at that time, we realized that the gutta percha cones that were being developed now were a match for the final master file that we were using in the canal. And as the tapers were going up to 04 and 06, you were pretty much milling a shape in the root canal that was fairly close. So that the area between the core got a percha in the canal that was fitted in the 04 and 06 dimensions and the actual canal walls was increasingly less and less. So that's when we realized that this material would be the ideal kind of bridge to fill the gap between the dental wall and that main got a percha cone in the middle. And the way you would then help reduce the amount of voids there is by applying an adequate quantity of the material in the canal so that when the cone, the function of the gutta percha cone at that point becomes primarily two main things. Number one is that it acts as a carrier and a way of getting the, the sealer to the end of the route by measuring the same length and the same way we've done it in the past. So the cone would get sealed all the way to the end and in the process carry the sealer with it to the end and condense it hydraulically in a lateral uh, 360 degree uh, direction so that you've got a percha cone is actually your condenser. And the other um, function of the gutta percha at that point becomes a path for revision and retreatment should it be needed in the future. So, so that was really the the point of that. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. So what happens to all the techniques that have been developed, the soft gutta percha technique, um, system B, all these different techniques where they warm the gutta percha up and they Right. Do it that way. What's what, what's we're, we're back to a, the silver point days of, uh, you know, 100 years ago, except we're not using silver points. We're using gutta percha and we're using a superior sealer. Are we not? Uh, so essentially, uh, first of all, I mean, it's, it's not. Yeah, you're right. It's not a silver point, obviously. What That's we're just doing a, is just we're a joke. Replacing, <laughs> I know we're using a gutta percha cone 
to replace that. The gutta percha cone, however, is fitted to the master file. So it's not as opposed to before where you would just put in a gutta percha cone that was, that was just kind of a stock gutta percha cone in a tapered canal that didn't have any match. So the volume of sealer is drastically less in ratio to the gutta percha cone as it used to be before. Right. But uh, secondly, yeah. the sealer is basically what's creating the seal. But you, so you, what happens to the other techniques? Yeah. Yeah, but you mentioned earlier that the greater the thickness of the sealer is actually preferred at this point because of the expansion properties. But now you're mentioning that the adaptation of the master cone is so close to the morphology of the instrumented canal that the gap of of sealer is not that great. So I just want to make sure you you clarify that. Yes, that is true. And and the reason for that is because this is a compromise. We're trying to introduce a compromise as a technique that allows you to take still advantage of the superior qualities of a bioceramic without the potential negative consequences of using it without a gutta percha cone, which would be making it difficult to retreat, controlling length and fill. So this is a compromise, but it's a pragmatic compromise to to be able to get the best of both worlds, to have the ability to retreat the tooth, to be able to control the flow of the material to the apex and condense the, 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 the cement so that it can get the hydraulics for filling lateral canals mm -hmm. and fins and yet be able to still retreat the tooth when needed. Okay, so, so I, I, yeah. I do agree that gutta percha is, is not necessarily the ideal material. Uh, it would be ideal if we could somehow fill the canal with this material all the way without any gutta percha, but it has consequences such as retreatment. Right. So right. that's why this technique is uh, ideally used with this. I mean, this material is ideally used with this technique. Right. Hydraulic and, gutta, compensation. and let's face it, gutta percha has been around a long time. It's inert. It doesn't in any way, right. you know, affect the living tissue in a negative way. And the behavior of dentists today and over the, you know, decades and decades have used gutta percha in their office. So you don't want to change things up too much. Um, and it's cost effective to use gutta percha. They could be sized properly to the root canal morphology. So overall, it's a decent material and it has a great track record. So why not use it? And it could be uh, manipulated very easily. The tips can be cut, and you can get that. Are you still looking for that apical plug, that that tug back? So you, right. So the tug back is really a function of uh, the pre previous generation of cements, where you had to again minimize the amount of sealer ratio uh, as a rim around the gutta percha cone. Today, tug back is not as important as long as you make sure you have resistance form one way or another. Resistance form meaning that your cone is not going to sail out if you, you know, if you don't have adequate resistance form. Now, you can get your resistance form from your taper, and that's fine. So you can actually end up being able to create a shape that is, I don't know, a 2006, but then be able to just plug the apex to a size 3502 or 04, so you core out that apical area, but then at the end, be able to cement in a 2006 gutta percha cone so that you get your resistance form from the top of the canal so the cone doesn't go long, but right at the apex, you'll end up having enlarged the apical to, to a size 35 that gives you a little bit better cleaning apical clearance and disinfection and rely on this on a ring of sealer around that cone at the apex to um, to achieve your seal. Yeah. Does no. that 
Yeah, that's ex ex excellent, uh, excellent clinical feedback and, and tips that uh, all of us as practitioners can take advantage of. Um, I think you covered uh, quite a bit on the non-surgical side. We have uh, another podcast coming up shortly on the surgical part of endodontics and how bioceramics are used there, and that's coming up shortly. So uh, thank you again, Dr. Nase, for everything uh, you've given us as far as your input and insight into using these materials, and um, congratulations on the success of, and the development of EndoSequence. It's quite a... Uh, Thank you. Quite a thing to develop a product that is, is so well used and um, appreciated in the profession. Thank you so much.